I want to greet you all this morning in the glorious and exalted name of Jesus. Kind of get a, a thrill at the end in the uh, refrain or chorus or what is it of that song? His glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. It's thrilling. Think sometimes about uh, the glory of Christ and uh, our responsibility to accomplish it. Was Christ glorified by us singing that his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky? Did that accomplish that? Are we finished? Were we successful? I remember uh, one of the brothers saying that uh, he had heard Jonas King preaching from little on up and pretty much knew what he was going to say. been preaching here, I think, for coming on seven years or a little over seven years. And I'm afraid for some of you, it's probably already able to say that. You know, some of my pet scriptures and some of my key themes, I, I don't want to be accused of harping on some things. But then I'm comforted by the fact that there are some things that we should harp on. Uh, one of them that you'll hear from me over and over is the church's responsibility to glorify Christ. And that it goes beyond singing that he's glorious, it reaches into our lives. Our responsibility to glorify Christ. And I always use kind of my pet scripture, but I rest in the fact that it's a very important phrase in scripture. And that is in John 17 and verse 10, where Jesus says in his great high priestly prayer, I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. And the fact that when Christ's glory is exalted, it's through his people and by his people doing what they've been asked to do. Um, It's been almost two years ago I was preaching about relationships in Ephesians 6 about the marriage relationship, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6 about parenting I stumbled over this. I was just this past weekend at Summit View. I was asked there to preach on the subject of parenting, and I, uh, I said that Ephesians 6 begins with a, an exhortation to the children and then to the parents, and we all know what parenting is, and, uh, but we don't have a, a verb for childing. I don't know why that is, but Ephesians 6 starts out with a call to the children to be childing and the parents to be parenting in a way that is successful in glorifying Christ. And then it goes on to, uh, I would say, the workplace relationship in our culture, in our context. We aren't masters and slaves necessarily, um, contrary to maybe what some of my employees think sometimes. (laughs) Uh, We don't need any testimony about that. But I think in our day we have those in responsibility and those uh, that are subordinate. And I would read the uh, master-servant passage there in Ephesians 6 to speak to that. And anyway, these three relationships we want to be successful in. And we want to be successful because we want to have joy and um, fulfillment in our marriage, parenting child, and workplace relationships. And I think that's fine. But ultimately, we need to think of the ultimate purpose for these relationships being totally different from the world, 
It shouldn't surprise us that our relationships and the things we practice to accomplish successful relationships is totally different from the world's. There's one reason why I don't recommend going to Ollie's and getting a book off the dollar table on successful parenting, even if it's written by somebody that has a lot of Bible verses stuffed into it. Um, I think we need to be careful that the books we read about parenting are carefully based in scripture. But what the scriptures call us to in parenting is sanctified parent-child relationships. Sanctified, different, holy. Uh, they're effective at accomplishing their purpose. And the ultimate purpose of parenting is to accomplish the glory of Christ. To exalt and glorify Christ so that indeed, because of our relationships, his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. Not just because we sang it and went on about our, our way, but because we work at it in obedience and faithfulness. We accomplish things in Christian parenting and childing that are beyond the reach of mortal man. That is, we're asked to do things that when you sit down and think about, we recoil from Apart from the Spirit of God and the grace of God, we will fail in successful and God-honoring parenting because we can't accomplish it apart from the grace of God and the Spirit of God. I appreciated the, uh, one of the children's verses. I sometimes think the shorter the verse and the shorter the words in the verse, the more power it packs. I don't know if you ever find it that way, but I often lift, listen for the younger classes' verses because those are often the ones that I take home with me. And uh, Megan's was, the Lord God will help me. Isaiah 50, verse 7. The Lord God will help me. I take comfort in that. I take comfort in the fact that it doesn't say the Lord God might help me or the Lord God can help me. The prophet says with utter confidence, the Lord God will help me. And I think that the Lord God will help us in our parenting and childing relationships. If we do it his way, by his grace, and with the desire to glorify not ourselves, but pats on the back. I think you know a little bit what I'm talking about. Um, children are quiet and obedient, maybe for a change. At Walmart, and somebody comes up to you and, oh, I can't get my children to do anything. How do you do that? You're such a wonderful parent. And then, I'm sure none of you have ever done it. I should confess I have. Commit the blasphemy of a kind of a false humility and, oh, oh, no, yeah, no, no, ah. Ah, thank you. And you kind of blush a little, but... And there you had an opportunity to exalt the glory of Christ, and instead you stole the glory for yourself. You robbed God. Shame on me, and uh, God helped me to do better in that. And if any of you have struggled with that, God help you as well. So I want to fix a message that I broke at Summit View, I was supposed to have 
five messages, and I had a little bit of an idea what to do, and I had this message in two parts. And then I lost a meeting. I lost Saturday evening. Um, we didn't meet that evening. And so I decided to just take those two messages and um, it, it didn't work. <laughs> I had a long introduction that was going to take up a whole message. And I had um, a long section of teaching on parenting from Deuteronomy 6 and from Moses speaking to the hero Israel, the Lord our God, um, is one Lord. I want to get to that passage. I don't think I will today, hardly, but I want to build up to it. I want to maybe whet your appetite or build up a little anticipation for that passage because it's kind of a dusty old passage and um, I want you to be hungry and thirsty for it. Uh, it blessed me to do some work in that passage thinking about what I've done well and a lot about what I've done poorly at in parenting and um, I think it will be helpful to all of us. I will say one thing about presuming to get up and turn on a microphone and speak to God's people about how they should be parenting. It's a little bit of a uh, knee-shaking thing. Uh, it's a little bit like getting up and speaking about humility, presuming tell you my takes on how to be uh, God-honoring in your humility or servanthood. Uh, if you get up and say, I'm a servant, you should do like me, or you get up and say, I'm humble, you should be humble like me, you're pretty well disqualified before you got started. And I'm afraid parenting's a little bit that way. I get very comfortable when I get outside of thus saith the Lord. And I don't know if that makes you kind of roll your eyes and sigh, like, if this isn't going to get real practical real fast, I don't have much time for it. But I really think that what God says about parenting in his word is the foundation of good parenting. I brought along a picture I've used in instruction class of the Tower of Pisa. I love this uh, picture. I imagine, am I still on? I imagine some of you are familiar with this building. A couple interesting things about it. It was built 600 years ago as a cathedral. It was dedicated to the glory of God when it was built. And it almost immediately started to tip over. It's 200 feet tall, and it didn't have a sufficient foundation. So since it was built, the Roman Catholic Church has been fighting to fix it. I found out that they brought in enough lead to fully load 30 tractor trailers and bolted it to the uphill side of, to try to stop the lean. Uh, 30 tractor trailers worth of lead bolted to the foundation of this building to try to pull it back straight. And then they've been pumping massive amounts of concrete under pressure under the downhill side and trying to push that up. And if you look at Google Earth at a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you see a city around it, but there's a gap for about 200 feet on the downhill side of it, and there's no houses and no buildings. And you can get real estate really cheap under the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because people look at it and say, maybe not today, 
maybe not this year, but that thing's coming down eventually. Problem here is the foundation of something that was supposed to glorify God is compromised, it's insufficient, it's corrupt. And to try to fix it isn't helping glorify God, it's extending the mockery of God. This building lost its ability to glorify God when it was first started to be built because the builders didn't pay attention to the foundation. When they finished it and it started tipping, it became a mockery of to the extent it tried to glorify God, it became a mockery of God, an unstable foundation. Uh, Psalm 11 reads, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The psalmist doesn't answer that question. It's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it. It answers itself. If the foundations are destroyed, the righteous are done. There's nothing for the righteous to do with a corrupt foundation. So my thought about parenting is that we make sure before we try to make it real pretty in our parenting and childing relationships that we're starting out solid. And if we're not, go back and make it solid before we try to fix things up here. I don't have anything new to tell you. You've probably heard the things I'm going to say, but I want to reconsider them and think, do we really have them solid? Are we going to build our families to the glory of God on a solid foundation, or are we satisfied that good enough is good enough, let's get the thing built, get it up, make it look pretty to the world, and see what happens. From the abolition time in American history, you might know the name Frederick Douglass. He spoke on a wide variety of things, kind of an amazing man, Frederick Douglass. He spoke on parenting, and he said this, he said, it's far easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. It's far easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. That is true. That is profound. It's not easy to build strong children. It's very costly. I, I've found it to be that way. But someone told me early on in our parenting uh, journey, I was going to say adventure, that doesn't sound so good, that if you're willing to endure headaches in rearing your children, you'll save yourself many heartaches later in life. I believe that's true. That's profound. We invest in our children not only so that God's glorified by a sanctified parent-child relationship, we invest in our children, if we want to say selfishly, because headaches of investing in and raising strong children are far easier than the heartaches that come with broken adults. All right, I said I wanted to fix a, a sermon I broke. I don't think I'll get the opportunity at Summit View. They pretty well caught the highlights in a breathless rush. <clears throat> they sat long and patiently, but uh, 
I'd like to try to uh, move carefully through this material because I really think it's important. We hear a lot about the Ephesians 5 passage on husbands and wives, and well, we should. I'm never sorry to hear it again, especially in weddings, but as important as that relationship is, I don't think the parent-child relationship is any less important or any less a symbol of how God's people, as children relating to a heavenly father, ought to look. And when we mess it up, we rob glory from God. I confessed at Summit View, they had asked me to come in and uh, I think there's probably no topic I would less rather speak on than parenting. And yet somehow it seems like when a church specifically asks, I have actually said no to that topic a couple times and I didn't have the nerve to do it again. So um, I'm here, I want to be here in humility and yet I'm not going to get very far outside the word of God and I want to be adamant. I want to be, uh, what is the word? Dogmatic, uh, without apology, about what the word of God requires of parents. I wouldn't mind spending a little more time talking about childing. Um, I'm going to just take a minute and invest two or three minutes in childing before all the rest of this is going to be about parenting. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to notice... Three words, real briefly, because this parent-child relationship, okay, we parents can get sanctified and uh, God-honoring and a good foundation in our parenting, but if the children aren't relating rightly in return, it's a one-sided model, and it loses its power to glorify God. So in Ephesians 6, there's three words that the first verse has that we ought to pay attention to, and then I'm going to let children off the hook. First, who are children? And second, obeying. And third, going on to honoring. I'll make a statement that obeying your parents is probably a pretty clear command. We understand when we're outside of obedience to our parents, unless they're asking us to do something contrary to the word of God, we are robbing glory from God. We are blaspheming God instead of glorifying him. When we have broken the model and we disobey our parents, when they ask something of us, that is not against God's word. Now, they may ask things we don't understand. They may ask things that we don't think are reasonable. They may ask things that we think are a waste of time or wrong-headed or wrong-spirited. We may think that they are not worthy of our respect and admiration, but the command is that the relationship is God-honoring only when children obey. The honor part is in my mind a higher level from the obedience part. Obedience can be done with gritted teeth and with a sigh of exasperation and with rolled eyes and with stomping feet. Fine. Off the go and the garbage gets out and might not get done perfectly, but it's done and got my obedience thing done. Mom and dad know how I felt about it too and that feels pretty good to my base, carnal nature. The honor part is a higher standard, I believe. The honor part is a subjective thing, and the parents determine that. And that is, if you are, as a child, doing something 
that is grieving your parents. You can even obey and grieve your parents. Does, can anybody imagine that? I think I just described it. You can take the garbage out and grieve your parents. You've robbed honor. You're walking in disobedience. The call, the command, the only time we are in obedience to the word of God as children is when we are obeying in a way that is honoring. And I don't believe it's up to children to determine what's honoring. I think it's fair of children to ask their parents, I took that garbage out. Did you feel honored? You know what? I'm speaking as a parent. I'm glad the garbage is out. It's better than not. But that about ruined my morning. I'm grieving right now. I'm feeling really sad. That parent, I believe, has been dishonored by a child's obedience. Parents feel grieved. Again, I don't think it's up to the children to decide that. Well, they ought to be satisfied. That should be good enough. I don't think I dishonored them, so I honored them. Did you? Ask them. Uh, that's my interpretation. Take that for what it's worth. Children obey honor. All right, I got the obey and honor. I want to mention the child thing. I'd be really interested to ask who thinks they fall under the requirements of children in Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I'm curious who would be the oldest person to raise their hand and say, if I'm humble enough to see myself as a child, I feel I'm still under the requirement to honor and obey my parents. Of course, I'm getting close. I, I'm going to be 14 next year. I'll sit up front with the youth. Then I'm off the hook. Or I'll be 16. I'll be driving. I'll be 18. I'm not a minor anymore. I'll be 21. Certainly not a child by 21 off the hook. Is that true? I don't have a hard and fast answer to that this morning, but I do have uh, one interpretation from the scripture. I know this isn't all of you's uh, cup of tea, but Joseph, the father of Jesus, was a builder. Greek word for a builder is a tecton. Tecton builds things. Children is a little misleading because when we think of children, we think of Sarah. Maybe, maybe I'm getting a little edgy if I say Josh Petershon. Alan, uh, he's certainly right on the edge. Child and I. There comes an age where we're uncomfortable calling someone a child because there's baggage attached to it, baggage that relates to maturity. And when you grow to maturity, you're not a child, you're an adult. And you've passed out of responsibility to obey this command. The problem is, we don't baptize children. So I said when I started that the word of God requires superhuman sanctification in the parent-child relationship. We're going to ask a four-year-old, without the Spirit of God, to do something superhuman that can only be done by the grace and Spirit of God. Is that not a recipe for frustration? 
I think that there's an answer to that here that the term children in English speaks of maturity. It speaks of immaturity, lack of maturity. And there is a Greek word for children that are not adults. We get the word pediatrician from this word, a doctor that doctors children. Uh, immature, not adults. Now I'm on. Um, that's not the word that's here, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's not the word. This is the word. Okay. This doesn't fascinate you. I'm sorry. I, it's very helpful to me. So, the tecton goes out. Joseph goes out and gets some stone and builds a building or builds a house. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of wood around Jerusalem, but uh, I'm not sure what he built with or even what he built, but there was a lot of stone, and if he built with stone, the fruit of Joseph's work is a technon. A technon is what a tecton has built. And a technon is a better term for that in Ephesians 6 verse 1 is this. That has no age out period. As far as I'm concerned, and I'm here to be corrected, what Paul asks in a sanctified parent-child relationship is actually a parent-offspring relationship, and you don't age out. I'm pretty confident of that. I'm not uh, inerrant. Um, so I'll, I'll listen to someone if they have something different to say. But I'm going to say that obedience and honor to sanctify a relationship of parent and child to accomplish the glory of God goes on throughout life. My parents are dead. Uh, I still have the ability to honor and dishonor them. I am still their offspring. I can speak ill of them. Um, I don't believe that's right. I believe it's dishonoring. So, take that for what it's worth, but if you want to be safe, don't pick an age to consider yourself off the hook from not only obeying but honoring your parents because my understanding of the word of God here, this description of this relationship is only sanctified and can only accomplish its purpose, which is Jesus said, I'm glorified in them, their relationships. There is only glory for Christ when we walk according to, here with children, uh, offspring, uh, obedience, and honor. All right. I'm done in Ephesians now. I know you all have had years and belly full of Ephesians, but I wanted to get that said and turn our focus on parents. So children actually applies to everyone in here. Parents, some of us, parenting seems far away, but I promise you there's a very real possibility it may be coming faster than you think. It lasts a long time. It's hard work. The consequences of failing are immense, immeasurable. 
You do well to think about it and prepare for it now. Start that foundation. You may not have a wife and you may not have children, but you can start that parenting foundation. And Moses speaks to that in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to get there very likely next message. I haven't gotten just real far. All right, turn with me to uh, Psalm 78. So there just aren't terrible many specific passages in the word of God about parenting. Like, if we want, thus saith the Lord, the safest thing to get to, it's real quick, and there's a bunch of them, is the rod passages. And we can rod this and rod that and... Don't be shy to beat him. He's not going to die. And we could probably make a whole weekend of meetings out of rod passages and Proverbs. But it would be my opinion that the word of God from start to finish is a textbook on parenting. This entire book is an example for us of a heavenly father telling us the way for a perfect father to relate to redeemed children and how the children relate back to him and to each other. This whole book is a book on relationships. And everything that God does and says to us is a parent-to-child interaction. And everything we do for God, to each other, and to God is a child-parent interaction. So we don't have to dig so hard to find examples of perfect parenting in the word of God. Psalm 78, first two verses, I want to notice this. It says, uh, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I want to stop there. I'm uh, over halfway through my allotted time. This is about the time where I'll kind of scan around and see I'm losing people. Uh, The more I'm up here, I'm not an expert yet. I haven't been up here just that many times or that many years, but it gets a little more obvious when you've lost somebody. Um, Yeah, well, asleep is is gone. I suppose it's better than slumped on the floor, but somebody's eyes are closed and they're not praying. They're they're probably missing a lot. You've lost them, but you'll also have uh, notes passed, conversation, play with a toddler in the lap. I realize we need to take care of our children. It's part of parenting, but a blank stare, maybe focused on a point on the wall, two feet over my shoulder, like I've lost those people too. As we talk about this, I want to kind of cultivate our desire for the sincere milk of the word. As newborn children crave, craving the word of God, the psalmist here gives an example of that. He says, give ear. It's a, it's a Hebrew idiom that means stretch out your ear, literally pull your ear. Do you ever talk to somebody and just want to... The psalmist, Asaph, I guess here, is going to speak the word of God to God's people when he says, give me your ears, pay attention, focus on me, eye contact, wake up. I have the same struggles you all do. I, I hope you realize that. I'm not pointing any fingers that shouldn't be pointed at me, but we talk about glorifying God. I think we glorify God when we give careful attention to his word. The speaker may be 
tedious, pathetic, repetitive. He may be flat out wrong, but if you can glean something, if he's reading the word of God, he's not wrong. Um, I think we do a lot to honor God when we do what the psalmist here says in Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, listen hard. We're going to talk about Shema. Uh, it's translated as hear in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. Hear. He's basically saying, give ear. Give me your full attention. If you have any appreciation for the word of God, more than that, if you have appreciation for the God behind the word, give me your ear. This is important stuff. In the last passage of Deuteronomy, um, chapter 32, uh, Moses says to the Israelites, um, I was sure I could quote it. He says, uh, these words I speak to you today are so much as that. The words I speak to you today are not a vain thing. They are your life. The word of God is your life. Can you say that without blushing? I'll challenge myself with that. He says, Moses says to the Israelite, what I say to you today is not vain. It's not vain. It's important. It's critical. It's more than critical. It's life or death. It's more than life or death. It's eternal life or death. That's what's riding on this. Moses says, these words, I say to you today, they're not a vain thing. They are your life. The psalmist says, give ear. It says, incline your ears. The older I get, the more I have to stretch to listen to people. You know what it is to incline your ears? Anybody with gray hair in here knows what it is to incline your ears. That is, somebody's talking. They think they're talking to a young person. But you're not as young as you used to be. You don't hear as well as you used to be. I say people are mumbling, but actually I, I, I have to incline my ears. I care so much about what you're saying that instead of watching the clock, I lean in hard and listen. I don't want to miss a word, the psalmist says. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Okay, when we look at the word of God, and especially we go back to Deuteronomy, one of the oldest books in the Bible, um, written by Moses, how many years ago? At least 35 centuries ago. In Jerusalem, at least 6,000 miles away, if anything is a dark saying of old, it's the things Moses taught. So I said, I said that the Bible is a parenting text from start to finish, and I'm going to stand by that. I come from a Presbyterian background, and I remember some things from my Presbyterian upbringing. And I sometimes think that we, in our circles, should appreciate things that we have here that I didn't, they don't. I'll give you an example. When I sat in Sunday school class, they taught that the earth was millions of years old. And that Genesis was not a history book. We don't go to the word of God to learn history. And the Bible's not a science book either. When it speaks about things that are scientific. It doesn't speak with authority. It might not even speak with accuracy. It may not even be the word of God because this book is, you know, I'm, I'm speaking, uh, I don't want to confuse anyone. I'm speaking like an apostate church. This word is so full of man's word and the little bit that used to be God's word is so messed up, we basically don't trust the thing at all. So stick it in the pew. 
We'll call it a pew Bible. It'll cover with dust. We'll preach messages that don't need this book, and then we can make things up as we go. This book is not a history book, the apostates would say. This book is not a scientific book, they would say. I hope that we would all say with Timothy, Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired, it's accurate, it's relevant, it's authoritative. And if it isn't compelling to me or you, I have a problem, a big problem. This book is a parenting text. I'm going to say all 66 books. Now, somebody will come afterwards and tell me this has nothing to do with father-children relationships, so you were wrong. Well, okay. Just for effect, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I looked it up, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses of examples and types and illustrations of things done right and things done horribly wrong to teach us about parenting. This book is most assuredly a parenting text. So, we look at Deuteronomy, Old Covenant. It's a dark saying of old. It's from centuries ago, thousands of miles away. It's not even the New Covenant. Can we safely set it aside? Well, you know, when uh, Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, when he said that it's all profitable, every bit of it, every jot and tittle is profitable, he was talking about the Old Testament. There wasn't a New Testament at that point or not much of one. All scripture includes Deuteronomy 6. You know, I hope none of us are anti-Semites. Do we know what that is? Anti-Semites have this disgust with all Jewish things because after all, the Jews killed Jesus, didn't they? This book is a profoundly Jewish book. We serve a 100% Hebrew Jewish Christ. And if I have my numbers right, correct me if I'm wrong, there were 40 different human authors, one divine author, 40 human authors, and 39 of them were Jewish, full-blooded Jewish, I think. This book is not only a parenting text, it's a profoundly Jewish book. And I think we do well to look into the Old Testament carefully because we can be led astray by it. Looking at the Old Testament wrongly, I think, is the end of non-resistance. I think it's the end of a young earth. It's the end of uh, no divorce and remarriage. It's the end of a lot of critical doctrines because you use the Old Testament wrongly. We need to be careful. I want to use Deuteronomy 6 rightly. I want to profit from it. I think you do too. All right, John F. Kennedy, how many of you were alive in 1963? Put your hand up. Hi, don't be ashamed. You earned that gray hair the hard way. Thank you. You all know who Jackie Kennedy is, I think. John F. Kennedy's wife. Uh, John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas the whole, yeah. Uh, Jackie Kennedy made a statement about parenting that I think was really good for a Roman Catholic. Uh, I think it's really good, period, but she didn't have just terrible much light or good teaching, I don't think. Maybe she knew more than that. Jackie Kennedy said this in the 60s when she was first lady. 
If you fail at parenting, nothing else you do will matter very much. I said there's a lot riding on parenting in your lifetime and lifetimes to come for a multitude of descendants and for eternity. There's an immense amount riding on parenting successfully and in a way that brings glory to Christ, honors God. So she said, rightly, if you fail at parenting, nothing else you do will matter very much. The question is, what is the definition of successful Christian parenting? I'd be interested to hear some feedback about that because that matters a lot. Not all of us would have children that we would say were right where they should be in relationship with God. Is that describing failed Christian parenting that doesn't honor Christ? Is it? That's a pretty important point. Those people need to get their act together or they, they should be shamed or shunned or draw back from or use them as a bad example how to not parent. Now look, there's a child not walking with Jesus. Failed Christian parenting right there. Mark it down. Is that safe to say? Thank you. Who said that? That is a totally erroneous statement, totally false. But that doesn't mean that you can be reckless in your parenting and say, hey, it's between God and them. They need to make their own choices. That isn't the teaching of Deuteronomy 6. Tremendous responsibility on parents. But I want to at least get out on the board here the why and the how of successful Christian parenting. Because Jackie Kennedy, for whatever authority she has, says, if you fail at parenting, nothing else you do will matter very much. And we see these situations. I've seen them. I'm assuming I'm not the only one. We see parents that we appreciate. We see a home life that just seems to shine and glow and be compelling. And, and how could children not respond to that? And then we see children taking their own way in rebellion or gross sin. However you want to describe that story, and we say, well, if there was ever a God-honoring, successful Christian parent, it would have been that home. But uh, what do we do about this rebellious children? Mm, not sure. <clears throat> then we see the opposite. Maybe you don't see it. I have. You see a home, you look at it, you say, what in the world? This, what an off-the-wall home. Like, nothing. It's just like... Um, what do they say about Nazareth? What can come good out of Nazareth? What can come good out of that home? And here come these children. Oh, wow. Ah, that's a servant of Christ right there. So, so do we go to them for instruction in parenting? Okay. Well, we're stuck if we don't know what successful Christian parenting is. If we're going to relate on outcomes, we're going to say that the outcome determines whether it was done right and in a way that honored God. All right. So what is successful Christian parenting? And we think that's important because we want to do it. We better know what it is. I'm going to write a few things on the board. And uh, I'd terribly like to say a little more. But till I get it done, I think we'll be done. All right. I'm going to say that successful Christian parenting, God-honoring Christian parenting, is just like evangelism just like evangelism. Do you know that Jesus evangelized many thousands of Israelites? And we read that in the upper room, they were all gathered together after Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension. They were gathered together and there were 120. 
I don't know what the numbers are, but I think Jesus failed in evangelism 99.9% of the time, maybe more. Most Israelites rejected his preaching of the new covenant. Did he fail? Did Jesus ever fail at anything? I don't think so. So we have evangelism that didn't work, but it's not a failure. How is that? We don't have the time, but you know the passage of the Valley of the Dry Bones, and Ezekiel's there, and he's carried away by the Spirit of the Lord, and there's bones from ridge to ridge. It's full of bones, and, and uh, the Spirit of God asks the prophet, can these bones live? And the prophet says, you know, Lord, probably not, but whatever. And it turned out he was told to preach a message to those bones, and those bones popped together, and they stood up, and they were alive. And they were a mighty army, a great and exceeding army. That was successful preaching. But if those bones hadn't jumped up and hadn't come to life and they laid there dead and dry, scattered across the valley, and he did what he says he did in verse, uh, if you're taking notes, Ezekiel 37, verse 4 and verse 10, he said, I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel prophesied as he was commanded. He did what he was told to do, and it worked. Praise God. That was God did that, though. But the prophet preached successfully because he was faithful. He did what he was told to do. Verse 4 and verse 10 repeated, I prophesied as I was commanded. And we get hung up in, well, the bones came together and got alive. That was a good message, Ezekiel. That worked. That was successful preaching if I ever heard it. I'm here to say if those bones laid there dry and never even moved, never even rattled, and he prophesied as he was commanded, he was successful in his preaching. You know, we have these two prophets. I, I think about it a lot. I think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You read Jeremiah Lamentations from cover to cover of that book, those two books. That was a faithful prophet. He preached his heart out. He cried. He suffered. I mean, no prophet ever invested in a faithful ministry. None of them like Jeremiah. Do you know how many people he ever converted? As far as I read the scriptures, zero, none, ever. A whole life of faithful, suffering ministry. Weeping prophet, they called him. Persecuted, tremendous, suffering and torture. Was he a successful prophet? He didn't have many little hash marks on his uh, converted to repentance table. He had none, as far as the scripture records. Then we have Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah. If there was ever a more pathetic prophet, I can't imagine who it was. He was a disgrace. He preached one message. He wasn't shy to say he didn't want to preach it, and he despised the people he was preaching to. He despised the God that he was preaching for. And the whole, I don't know about the empire, but the city of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes from one bad-spirited sermon. Was he a successful prophet? I think it's the same with Christian parenting. I think that we see successes and praise God for them. And this is what we strive for. And we want to learn from these families. But we sometimes see failures. And we need to understand that on both sides, what was called for was faithfulness. Prophesy as you were commanded. I want to carry that into Deuteronomy 6. And think carefully about it. And ask ourselves an honest question. Are we doing what's required of us. I said I wasn't going to end without the 
instructions for uh, successful Christian parenting. I really need those for the next message, so bear with me a second. Try to be quick. So I had the why, we had the how. It's a simple three-step process. And I'm going to say on the authority of the Word of God that if you do these three things faithfully, no one can call you an unsuccessful parent. Come what may. First one. I don't know how big I have to write for people to see. First thing, don't follow the Ollie's book. Don't follow anybody's book. Follow God's book. It speaks sometimes explicitly and practically and concretely about parenting. Do that. For sure do that. Be careful not to miss that. Don't make the mistake of throwing up your hands and saying, a Bible's so full of stuff, so little speaks to parenting. It isn't relevant in our day. And make the mistake of the compromising churches and say, it's not a parenting book. Look, I was at Ollie's. This was only a dollar. But look what's in it. I mean, Bible verses and tells me how to parent. Be very careful what you read. Be Bereans and make sure that what they say is true, according to Scripture. Follow God's instructions. That includes his example and his types. We'll talk more about that. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. I don't leave enough room. It's funny how clocks and marker boards never have enough have enough time. Follow God's instructions. Ecclesiastes 9.10 is a familiar scripture. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. So your might is considerable. We could spend a message. We have spent messages talking about the power of the spirit of God in the child of God. The, the spirit of power of almighty God in a child of God. What you're capable of. Tremendous. Don't compare yourself to the neighbors or to a compromising church or to professors naming the name. Don't compare yourself to them because that's not your calling. Your calling is to do parenting with your might and consider what your might is. Don't put the Spirit of God on a leash. Um, Ephesians 3. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. Who's thankful this morning to serve a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think? But that doesn't end that verse. It goes on to say, according to the power that worketh in us. When Ecclesiastes says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. How much effort am I putting into parenting? How much are you? Am I bringing the spirit of God and its power and its instruction and its illumination? Am I bringing that to bear on the parenting and the parent-child and the childing relationship? Am I doing that? Because if I'm not, I'm not a successful God-honoring parent. Children may turn out to serve the Lord and advance God's kingdom and do tremendous damage to Satan's kingdom and praise God for that. But I am not a successful Christian parent because I didn't parent God's way with God's power. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Last step.
We need to be like Ezekiel after he prophesied as he was commanded. He didn't go around and start kicking bones. Here's a leg bone. Here's a skull. And try to... He did what he was told to do. He did exactly what he was told to do. And he trusted God for the rest. And God worked. In successful, God-honoring parenting, we do all we can do. And then we rest in the fact that we've obediently, with our might, done what God commanded, and we trust God to lay sinew on those dry bones. Very simple. Close with uh, this. A lot of things in the Protestant Reformation uh, we rightly discard. But one thing we shouldn't discard is these what they call the five solos of the Reformation. Solos. We know the word solo, it means alone. Um, the chief one, the crowning one, the, the first one, always number one when these solos are listed. I'm not going to get into them, but we dare not discard this. This is the why of why we care about God honoring successful Christian parenting is because it's the only way to accomplish this. SDG is... Really helpful. You know, we all know, you know what an acronym is. You know what VIP is. You know what IRS is. You know what USA is. But here we are, the bride of Christ, the people of the living God, the Israel of God, the kingdom of God on earth. We're all these things. And SDG. I realize we're not all Latin offspring of Latin teachers, but. This is worth knowing. To God alone be the glory. God alone be the glory. That's the why of successful Christian parenting. Because we present to the world what a parent-child relationship is supposed to look like. And when we mess that up, we rob God of what he desires more than anything else, which is glory. Let's stand for prayer.